surely goodness and mercy follow God's people. Amen. Amen. That brings us to the last verse, verse 6 of Psalm 23. And so if you haven't already done so, let's open our Bibles to the 23rd Psalm. And as you're doing that, actually I just want to enjoy the sound of it first. But, okay, now as you're doing that, remember our concern these past few weeks has not really been so much do we know this psalm. Uh, I think most of us knew this psalm uh, long before we began to squeeze it a bit six weeks ago. Many of you memorized it. And you memorized it well. It's only because you stood in a public place and were asked to recite it that you couldn't remember the second word, right? That's normal. That happens. But you know this psalm. Our concern has been to ask ourselves, do do I know the shepherd of this psalm? Can I sing as Israel's King David sings in verse 1, the Lord is... My shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd king, I shall not want. I will lack absolutely nothing necessary to live out the life God has called me to live. Why? Because I'm a big deal? No. He's the big deal. I belong to him. He's my shepherd. He's my king. I shall not want. I shall not want. And this psalm has set for us the the, the cadence of the Christian life, hasn't it? You know what a cadence is. It's, It's something that you march to. It's something that you live to. We who are in Christ are on a pilgrimage. We're on a journey home. Everybody in this room is living on the very brink of eternity. Do you realize that? In, in light of eternity, I looked it up, really long time. In light of what eternity is, this brief life places you right on the very brink of eternity. And this is the soundtrack for the journey of God's people home. And so, so we've wrestled with this and we've said, or I have, and no one's disagreed. You're all very polite that way. Um, this really is a, is a, is a Christian song. It, it, it's, it's not for everyone. It, it, it's for the people of God because only God's elect people know Yahweh, the one true God, the Lord, as intimately as sheep know their shepherd. Only God's called out people know him in in such a way that they are cared for as attentively and, and tenderly by God as a shepherd cares for his sheep. And Jesus claims this psalm, in a sense, for his people when he says, I am the good shepherd. The, the, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Do you know Jesus? The good shepherd. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Wow. I mean, that's, that's Psalm 23. In the words of our good shepherd, Jesus. And, and this quality of life, not, not just quantity of life, but quality of life that Jesus calls eternal life is in view now as we come to the crescendo of the whole thing in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, to sing this psalm is to proclaim confidence in Christ's care for his people. And what a loud declaration. What a glad declaration this is. But notice the word surely. You guys know how this works. We're going to just take our time here. What, what, what is, that, is that just extra? Is that so it has the right meter and all of that as a song? No. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. We live in a world in which there is so much uncertainty. Have you noticed that? In fact, it's uncertainty, not certainty, that, that seems to follow us day by day. We're healthy one day. Deathly ill the next day. I saw one of our, our dear brothers here uh, who's been out for, I don't know, six weeks or so with, with COVID. And he's back among us by God's grace, but still struggling with the effects of that ailment as, as many of our folks are. We, we have a loved one with us one day and the next day they are not with us. I found out this just this morning as I was coming in that our brother Dick Lindemann, many of you remember the, the Lindemans, uh, went to be with Jesus last night. I just spoken with him on Wednesday, he and his wife Julie. The job that seemed so certain all of a sudden isn't certain. The relationship I thought would never end seems like it's fizzling out. The financial position that seemed so secure all of a sudden isn't. And I feel insecure. How many of us in this room this morning know what it is to face uncertainty? What a world of uncertainty we live in. And, and apart from Christ, the person swimming in that sea of uncertainty sings a song of foreboding pessimism. Have you noticed that in the world today? F friends, that is not our song. That, that, that is not the song of the people of God. If that's your song, please know you have more in common with those who are apart from Christ than those who are in Christ. Listen to David. Surely, this is my confidence. This is a definite reality, positively, without any doubt, in this world, 
in all of its uncertainty, this is certain, goodness and mercy will flow from my shepherd king every day of my life. Many of you I know picked up a copy of that, that little book I mentioned to you by Doug McMillan called The Lord Our Shepherd. It's a gem, isn't it? It's very helpful. And McMillan tells of hearing of an old Highlander, a, a Scottish shepherd, uh, preaching from this psalm. He was an elder in a little church in the Highlands, and uh, he, he spoke of two sheepdogs, one named Goodness, the other named Mercy. He's freelancing a little bit. Um, <laughs> relentlessly running out and turning God's people back to their shepherd, keeping them in his care. Not a single sheep, he said, could outwit goodness. Not, not, not a single sheep could outrun mercy. And if you prefer not to mix your metaphors, remember last week in verse 5, we, we, we decided that we were no longer speaking of sheep so much because there's a table prepared, heads being anointed with oil, Cups of wine running over. We, we understand that Christ is our shepherd king, right? He, he prepares a banquet table before us in the very presence of our enemies. Even enemies around us, enemies within us. And goodness and mercy are the king's royal attendants, aren't they? We never, ever... Get away from the goodness of God. Why? Because God is good. We, we never, ever get away from the mercy of God. If you disagree with me, when you draw your next breath, let me just remind you, you didn't deserve it, and you got it from God. I remember a few years ago sitting in a restaurant in, in Delhi, India, and I was um, really tired from a, a day of, of, of preaching and and visiting at Harvest Mission College, one of our missions that we support. And I sat there in this restaurant with my son, this was quite a while ago, uh, eating a meal. And, and in that culture, the waiter stands right next to your table and just watches you eat. And it totally creeps you out. But, but that's the way it's done in a lot of the world. It's not just India. We're sort of the anomaly in that sense when it comes to waiters. We're, we're, we're seen as kind of rude in that sense. But this waiter was standing there, and the moment he thought my plate was about to become empty, he'd scoop another bit of curry onto it. And, I, and I'm just you know, like sweating away trying to, you know, how do you, what do you do with this, you know? Um, and my son thought it was hilarious. Um, and, and the thing is, he wouldn't stop. And, and, I, and I, I didn't have to ask for more. At times, I didn't realize I needed more. Uh, but, but more came. And, and, and the persistence of that is really the vibe of what David is saying here with respect to God's goodness toward his own and, and God's mercy toward his own. In another of David's greatest hits, Psalm 27, he, he sings this. This is as his enemies are encircling him. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Here is a man, God's man, who by God's grace has been trained to recognize that no matter what's going on in his life, no matter how deep or how dark the valley, and David had some deep ones and some dark ones, he nonetheless would expect to see goodness from God in the midst of that. He would expect to experience, nonetheless, mercy from God in the midst of that. In verse 6 of Psalm 23, that word that is translated follow in most of our Bible, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Um, There are some translations that render that chase. Think about this. Surely goodness and mercy shall chase me. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me. In fact, this is the only time in the Old Testament that that particular verb is used in the context of something wonderful. Normally it's used in the context of stuff that's horrible. Enemies pursue you. Disease chases after you. Insecurities within you are relentlessly pursuing you, aren't they? But but what is happening in the life of God's sheep as they follow their good shepherd? What is the normative experience for the people of God because of who he is, because of who Christ is? We're being chased down by goodness. We're being run down, hounded, if you will, by his mercy. What a a joy David proclaims as he considers what it really is to belong to this benevolent king, this good shepherd. I'm constantly chased. I'm persistently pursued by goodness and mercy from my shepherd king. Well, what what does it mean that God pursues us with goodness? That God chases after us with mercy? Well, goodness speaks of his commitment to benefit his people. Do you realize that God actually commits himself to benefit you who belong to him in all of life's circumstances? Not just the, one that, the ones that you personally feel are beneficial. How many of you have had the experience of thinking something was beneficial by your own measure only to be wrong? We're not the best gauge of that, are we? But God in his infinite wisdom manages the circumstances, his providences, if you will, in our lives for the benefit of his people. And Romans 8.28 assumes that we know this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And this is the, uh, the, the tone of the Christian life. The God's pilgrim people are meant to live by what they know about the nature of their shepherd. God works out all the details of life from the minutiae to the monumental for his people's ultimate good by his perfect measure. In fact, that word that is translated goodness in verse 6 has 
the nuance of something being made complete. How interesting. Because in the middle of this praise, there is this reminder that goodness pursues me. Goodness chases after me in the sense that I am yet a work in progress. How many of you realize that you're a work in progress? We we are not yet glorified, are we? But that day is coming. And what is the Lord doing? Well, in the meantime, we're, we're, we're being sanctified, aren't we? He's chipping off all the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. And His goodness, His completing work in His people pursues us always. And, and the elephant in the room is what? Well, we say, well, wait a minute. We, we've just been through the valley of the shadow, haven't we? So, so, so that must mean that not all things are good. I mean, the, the valley of the shadow sounds awful and, and, and feels worse than it sounds, right? Listen to James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is immutable. He's unchanging. In a world of change, where where the only thing that seems certain is uncertainty, (laughs) in that kind of world, God never changes. Your good shepherd, my good shepherd, never changes. And the work that he does is always good. In fact, James says there is not even a shadow of ill intent in God toward his people. I mean, that, that would be a, a blasphemous thought to, to even harbor that in your head about God. And so James says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We who are subjects of the king. We who know Yahweh as good shepherd are part of this this larger harvest, the church in all of history for whom Christ died and now works relentlessly for its good, perfecting, preparing his bride. And, And the church of God then, not just individuals. Remember this, we're reading from Ancient Israel's hymn book. And so people sang this the way we just sang. A psalm is, is a, a melody set to instruments, right? This, this is war, corporate worship. It's a, it's a we thing, not just a me thing. And it's a reminder to God's people that his flock, even in the most trying times, it, it, we're meant to trust in his goodness. We're meant to trust in his mercy. I think I shared with you um, a couple weeks ago that while I was away on sabbatical, um, Pam and I visited quite a few churches in Spokane on various Sundays. So while we were missing you, we were meeting new brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and after a visit on a Sunday, I uh, had the privilege of meeting with some of the pastors and elders at those churches. And we were just sort of comparing notes about, have you heard about this COVID thing? comparing notes about that and uh, we're all tired of talking about it I know but but see just just across the 
that, that artificial line there that separates states and counties, uh, it's a totally different experience. Some of you know that. And the church in many ways is hard-pressed in ways that we here in Idaho are not experiencing. That, that alone is a mercy from the Lord uh, to, to, be, to be thankful for. But, but, but these, the elders of these churches were sharing with me, nonetheless, how the, uh, the, the lockdowns, so to speak, um, it's not all bad. You see, because God has used that hard time in his church to get his people thinking much deeper thoughts about what it means to be part of a body. Do we really believe the scripture when it says to us, hey, don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together? I mean, even when the government tells you to. And, and, and the, the church is learning new ways to minister to one another because of this environment. Do you see my point? The goodness of God is seen in a context in which at first blush, God's people might say, well, well that ain't good. Well, yeah, it is. And I, and I dare say, friends, it's been good for us too. God has been good to us in the midst of the silliness that's been going on these last couple of years. A couple of you agree. All right. Listen, this whole, um, have you heard about deconstruction? Is, is that what it's called? Do I have the term right? Long-time believer makes a public announcement that I'm no longer a Christian. The Bible just calls that apostasy. So we should get our terms straight. And you think, well, that's a terrible thing. Well, do, do we trust that God protects his church and uses apostasy even to purify his bride, to strengthen his flock? To sift the flock? I think so. Surely, goodness will chase us all the days of our life. God's providence works even temporary evils for his people's lasting benefit. It's all under the sovereign good hand of God. David rests in this. David delights in this. And he sings of the, his absolute assurance of the goodness of God toward him. All the conditions that God brings me into are fit places for my spiritual growth and fruitfulness. Can you say that? You can if the Lord is your shepherd. God never brings his people into any providence that is not a fit place for them to grow and bear fruit for his kingdom. Oh, what a good shepherd we have. We don't always make the best use of our providences, though, do we? And even then, even then, his goodness chases us. His mercy pursues us. And notice that's what David says next. It, not, it isn't just goodness, but it's mercy as well that follows. And, and we know that word mercy from our time in the Old Testament. We've been in the Old Testament for, um, well, 
last year or so anyway, haven't we? Ten Commandments and, and Hosea and, and, and Jonah and, and Nahum and, and, and all of that. And it's just been absolutely wonderful because in all of it, we see this word mercy or the Hebrew word chesed. You remember trying to say that weeks and weeks ago? Chesed. It's a fun word to say. Zimbabwe chimichanga. Chesed. It, it's, it's a wonderful word. And, and, and in all of your Bibles, be, be serious, you're in church. In, in, all, in all of your Bibles, you, you saw different words other than mercy, depending on your translations. Why is that? Because it's a huge word. I mean, how many words does it take to describe the loyal love of God for his covenant people? That's a big word. And David says, that, that is what chases me every day of my life. I couldn't get away from God's loyal love if I wanted to, which I do not. To know God as shepherd is to be in a relationship of reciprocal loyal love. That's what a covenant is. That's what a covenant is. What does it mean to say the Lord is my shepherd? It means that you have surrendered to his love for you. And you have received a love that he's poured out into your heart for him. Amen? And God relates to his own with this steady kindness, this, this reliable support. The way parents loyally and lovingly relate to their own children. God is vigorous when it comes to keeping you in his goodness and his mercy. I remember a young man who came to Christ at a... you have time for a story? It's coming anyway. Young man came to Christ, young, 10, 11 years old probably, and um, served the Lord with gladness and by God's grace and um, left home for college and was one of these kids who just put his, his faith on a shelf in a, in a sense. And um, pretty soon faith in Christ wasn't really what was informing life. And uh, that trail leads you... Uh, very quickly down a route where um, other people may not even know you're one of God's kids. I don't recommend it to anybody. And the thing of it is, he met his college sweetheart, who would later become his wife, at a time when she didn't know Jesus. He shouldn't have even been dating her. And he knew it. But God's goodness chased after this young man. And God's mercy chased after this young man so that he can stand before you today and sing of his praises, the limitless supply of his loyal love for his own. You, you can't get away from it. And Pam has tried to get away from me since, but she's, she's pretty loyal too. And, 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 and we are like so many in this room who could say, we don't deserve the life we have. And God gave it anyway. 
What I do not deserve from God, I keep receiving from him. What I really do deserve from God, he continually withholds from me. It's almost as if he loves me. And he loves you. You who are his own. And, and you cannot, why, why do I share a personal story like that? Well, it's a couple of reasons. It's hard to find new material for one thing. But, but, but secondly, you can't read this as some sort of generic truth. Well, listen to what David says. Goodness and mercy from God follow me. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm the one who shall not want. How, how long does this go on, David? All the days of my life. And, and, and then what? Well, he says, as long as this life continues, I am confident that everything I need for my journey home with my shepherd, he will supply. Can you say that? So David's heart is overflowing with joy and gratitude as he recalls God's goodness in the past, as he trusts in God's mercy in his present, and as he anticipates an even greater goodness from God in the very near future. And what do I mean by very near future? Are you still listening? You live today on the very brink of eternity. You say, what are you talking about? I'm nine years old. (laughs) It doesn't matter a hill of beans if you're nine or 99. In God's reckoning of time, you live on the brink of eternity. Life is a vapor, says James. Teach me to number my days, says Moses that I may gain a heart of wisdom. The wise man, the the, the wise woman lives toward eternity. The fool lives as if this earthly life is all there is. Is desperately trying to suck joy and purpose and meaning and all of that out of this life and it's empty, isn't it? And some here today in a group this size, most certainly live foolishly by God's measure. Not thinking of living on the brink. And may God give all of us grace to live wisely by his measure. And that's why I want to just linger for a moment on this word forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely this is true. Note the confidence that David has. Do you have this confidence about your forever? You're living on the brink of it. Do you realize, friend, that the Bible speaks of all people being forever people? But there are two kinds of forever people, aren't they? Aren't there? Those who are chased by God's goodness and mercy all the way to their final heavenly home with him. I pray you're looking ahead to that day. But there are those who spurn his common goodness and his common mercy day after day after day 
all the way to an eternity in which they will only experience God's wrath. How long is that going to last? Forever. We're all forever people. Where's your forever? You see the difference between knowing this psalm and knowing this psalm's shepherd is as vast as the difference between heaven and hell. For some forever people, it will be said one day, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. What a contrast that forever is to the rest and security and confidence that belongs to those who know they are in the fold of the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And if that seems rude to bring that up, I mean, good heavens, it's Christmas time, right? Well, I don't want to be a crummy shepherd. And this psalm is all about the good shepherd. And it is the good shepherd's first coming to this world that we're celebrating this time of year. Christmas is all about the goodness and mercy of God in Christ. You and I, the scripture says, are born running away from God. In ignorance, perhaps, or in willful rebellion, doesn't matter. Away is away. There, there is none who seek God, the scripture says. Not one. But God's saving mercy, listen, even right now, is in hot pursuit of his people. The goodness of God in salvation relentlessly chases after his own. Do you believe this? So you're praying, aren't you, as a person of God's flock, that he would bring salvation to people, though they gather in a building with a cross on it, nonetheless can be far from Christ. You see, in order to have Christ as shepherd, you must have him as savior. It's a package deal that way. This is who he is. Another way to look at that might be, you know, there's, a, there's, there's this silly debate among some people about, you know, Jesus was my savior and then later he became my Lord. You know what that is in a, in a theological sense? That's just stupid. Nobody makes Jesus Lord. He is Lord. Do you see with spiritual eyes the goodness of God in Christ, the word become flesh to dwell among people, to serve us with his holy life, the life you and I haven't lived and cannot live, to, to redeem us with his shed blood on that cross at Calvary. To love us every day, every moment with a love so loyal and so sure that he will lead us. All who follow him. All the way to dwell with him forever. 
turn to Christ, and he will lead you safely home. Ignore this call and realize you are as close to heaven now as you will ever get. What a crescendo are these last words. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you realize you've been singing about that? He shall reign forevermore. What in the world is that about? Our best days are just ahead of us. Do you know that? And so that means those of you who maybe have fallen into this habit of living for yesterday and, and you're pining for the, uh, the, the, the way life was in the 50s and the 60s uh, because you forgot what a smelly mess the world was in the 50s and the 60s. And it's not much different than, than now, just different scenery, right? Forget about the past. Your best days as a child of God are ahead of you. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, what's David thinking about? Maybe he's thinking about the tabernacle. Remember, the temple had not yet been built. Maybe when God's people sang this, many, many years later, they they thought of the temple. But, you know, I believe we're meant to think of what both the temple and the tabernacle symbolized. The very presence of God with his own. Do you realize God desires to dwell with you? He desires to dwell with his people? Listen to how Jesus puts this. This is John 14. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What, what an amazing reality is this relationship of, of reciprocal, loyal love. God says to his own, the good shepherd says to his sheep, I want to dwell with you. We're living toward a day when all of us in Christ together will dwell in the the favorable presence of our good shepherd. John says in his first epistle, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And then what does he say? There is a day coming when we will see him as he is and be like him. Doesn't that thrill your heart? That is ahead for us. And in the Father's house, there is an infinitely better human experience than anything anyone has ever experienced in this life, as good as it gets at times. No death ever. Sin and its death have been conquered in Christ. No no sorrow either, ever, in God's house. No pain I don't mean to be rude, but some of you walked through the door here this morning even walking kind of funny. Why? Because you're in pain. These bodies aren't built for eternity, and the longer we live, the more we realize the warranty's running out, right? It is what it is. That's not your forever, though. Don't think that. For the believer, our eternal dwelling place is where there is no weariness, no relational misunderstandings, no hurt feelings, no regrets, because our forever home 
is where nothing is defiled. That means all the, the cruelties and deceptions and, and unfairnesses of this fallen world are gone. How can you not live believing your best days are yet ahead of you? And, and Advent, Christmas, proclaims this to us every year. God's desire to dwell with his people. Think about these words we're going to sing in just a minute. Or maybe a couple minutes. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. How wonderful is that? Revelation 11 anticipates this time that we sang about earlier. John writes, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And who is with him? Who who is with the good shepherd, our shepherd king as he reigns? Well, says Revelation 22, there shall be no more curse, But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall reign forever and ever. I don't think David's thinking about the tabernacle. I don't think he's he's not thinking of the temple that he, he wanted to build and Solomon would build. He's thinking of the temple of God, God's people dwelling with the Father in the Father's house for how long? Forever. And ever. Well, that brings us back to where we started six weeks ago, doesn't it? Psalm 23 from start to finish is a gospel psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of him, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's people await an eternal home they have not seen. And this home is ours because we belong to the Good Shepherd. My, my prayer, friends, is that God would just pour out goodness and mercy, that he would pour out grace among us so that we will live more and more as those who know that we're living in the very suburbs of heaven. We've tasted of Christ. We've tasted the goodness of our God. And it is just a taste of that day when we will be living, dwelling in the house of our Lord forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these wonderful words, these wonderful truths that comfort us and encourage us and put wind in our sails as your people. Lord, you've reminded us that every day we're pilgrims journeying home. And Lord, we are so prone as your sheep to get bogged down in the scenery and and stuck in the details of what's right in front of us. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you chase after us with your goodness and mercy. And And you give us eyes to see it at times. And yet by faith, we realize it's happening whether we see it or not. Thank you, Lord, for your loyal love. Thank you for this precious song. May it be ours, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand together and sing.